millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Talking France. As is our duty on this podcast, we'll bring you the main news and talking points from the week in France, including, of course, updates about strikes and protests, what's coming next, and whether the strikes are going to hit the winter holiday period. We'll also examine why retirement in France is so sacred and why the country is such a popular place for foreigners to retire to. The French are known to cherish food, fraternity and pharmacies, but they also have a less well-known love for comic books. We'll explain why. And France may have a reputation as the land of romance and Frenchmen as great charmers, but a concerning new study suggests France is still deeply sexist and many French men don't have a problem with that. We'll also answer a question being asked by property owners in France, hear about two French actors in new films about the French police, and as ever, we'll have some essential life hacks for you. I'm Ben McPartland, your host, and I'll be joined by the team at the local France, editor Emma Pearson, journalist Jen Mansfield, and our politics expert, John Litchfield. Emma, Jen, thanks for joining me again to look back at the week's talking points in France. We should start with the strikes. Emma, give us an update. Well, yeah, since we spoke last week, we've had the first mass strike, which was on Thursday, January 19th. That was pretty well supported. There was a lot of disruption on the national rail work, city public transport, lots of schools closed down. I think there were actually slightly fewer services that were completely closed during the, than there were during the pension strikes in 2019, but there was still a lot going on. And there were also big demos, like really big. In total, more than a million people took to the streets in towns and cities around France. And interestingly, it wasn't just the big cities where demos are common. I mean, like Paris, there's always a demo about something. But there was a really big turnout in a lot of the smaller sounds that traditionally see less street protests. And this is reportedly what's worrying the government. OK, and just on the subject of the protests, they often turn violent or... Fringe element. What was it like this time? Was it violence? It was largely peaceful, but we did see a few scuffles in Paris at the end of the march, which is when it traditionally happens. A small group of what they call casseurs, which are like hooligans basically, started smashing up shop windows and bus stops near the sort of Bastille area. And it was here that a really shocking incident took place that we only learned about later, where a young man called Ivan was hit so hard by a police officer with a baton that he later lost a testicle. There's footage of this attack that's circulating online and it's revived once again the discussion around police violence in France and how demos are policed more generally. Indeed, yeah. And there was a French word that you picked out this week that literally describes what happened to him. Yeah, the, the French word they used to describe it was emasculé. But when I saw this in the headlines, it said a man had been emasculé by un policier. And I was like, I was quite confused by that. I was thinking, what, like a policeman said mean things to him, made him feel like less of a man? Why would this be a headline? But it turns out that emasculé in French, although it can mean the same as emasculated in English, it can also mean someone who's like physically lost a testicle so it's really more like being castrated. And you can also say someone is castré to mean castrated. And I also discovered a, a new word that I quite like. The French equivalent of a bull buster for a woman is an castatrice. Interesting. The word that appeared during the Gilets jaunes protests when many protests were injured was... Do you know what that means? Yeah, these were for people who lost an eye. So it was like, 
It was kind of like blinded, but specifically it means like people who've lost one eye. Yeah. So it's like rendered one-eyed. Yeah. I don't think we have a word for that in Bourgnier, English. it means, yeah, you basically, to be rendered one-eyed. Yeah, but, to I mean, that happened a lot. That was, you know, so many lost their eyes during the Gilets jaunes protests. Yes, uh, controversial French policing methods in the news again. Jen, uh, you were at the protest last week speaking to demonstrators. Did they give you the impression that they are in it for the long haul? Yeah, I got the impression that at least of the people that I spoke to, the people that were there, they were prepared to continue attending demonstrations and some were definitely planning to continue striking. Uh, several people also told me that they were prepared to go jusqu'au bout, meaning until the end. Um, and one man who also identified as a yellow vest protester said, I have been protesting for the last four years and I will continue until Macron and others leave. I will say that a lot of people I spoke to made the distinction between this moment and 2019. One truck driver, Marc, said that it's more expensive to strike now than it was a few years ago, meaning that inflation and the cost of living crisis has had an impact on workers going out onto the streets and that striking might put people in a more precarious position when choosing to go without pay. Yes, this is something that we've been discussing. But Emma, uh, we knew this wasn't going to be a one day movement. The unions have talked about, you know, the mother of all battles, as we've said. What's going to happen next? Well, the next thing that we know is definitely going to happen is there's going to be another mass strike. Uh, this was announced on the evening of the last strike. Pretty much as soon as it was over, they announced another one. And that's going to be on Tuesday, January 31st. So expect, again, major disruption to services, especially public transport on that day. But several of the unions have also announced extra actions, including workers in ski resorts. They filed an unlimited strike notice from January 31st. And some of the rail unions, like the smaller unions, have also filed renewable strike notices that are into. February. So it's kind of looking like if you're coming to France for the February school holidays, there will be extra disruption. Indeed. And if you're looking for the latest strike news, please visit our website, thelocal.fr. We have a calendar of all the key strike dates to remember that we are updating regularly. And that's the place to keep track of what's happening next in the strikes. This is a good time to bring in our politics expert, John Litchfield, who joined me on the line to discuss what will happen during this industrial action and whether Macron will bow down to unions? Well, it's happened before, uh, you know, not for quite a while now, but um, there were very similar, um, some ways more radical reform in 95 that was withdrawn after only three weeks, I think, of mayhem caused by big trade union movement then. I think uh, that was under Chirac's presidency. He also withdrew another change in, in employment law in his second term. So, it, you know, there is a kind of track record, but it hasn't happened now for many years. You could say that the Gilets Jaunes gained something, but that was quite a different a sort of movement. It was an anti-trade union movement as much as it was anti-government. So for the unions to achieve a, a complete um, U-turn in what is, rightly or wrongly, Macron's flagship reform or, or uh, legislation for his second term would be an extraordinary achievement. And it would be, uh, essentially, would you know mean that Macron would be left with four years with not very much to do, in, domestically anyway, in, in the Elysee Palace. So I all along have said, no, I don't think that will happen. But then it was a very successful first um, day's protests and marches last last Thursday, as you say, over a million people. That's happened before, but it was more than the government expected. And I think it was who turned out was actually what shocked the government a little bit. Big, big turnouts in sort of middle-sized towns around the country that generally don't get involved in that kind of thing. There, especially quite a lot of people who were not the sort of usual suspects, if I can put it that way, of teachers, railwomen. There were a lot of people who were private sector employees who took part. 
So the battle lines are drawn in, in quite an interesting way. I think the unions have problems, though, in how to push it forward. The government also has maybe one or two things up its sleeve, concessions it can make. So I think the thing is going to develop in a very interesting sort of chess-like way over the next week or so. Thanks, John. And just this issue or the question of retirement in France, is it considered more sacrosanct than, for example, other countries in Europe? Well, yeah, it's a really difficult one to sort of psycho- psychoanalyze that. Yes, I think French... It's more our French attitudes to work uh, seem to be not in all cases. I think there, are, you know, France has a very good record of productive work for those who are in work. But there does seem to be a kind of attitude amongst many people, and perhaps people who are in hard labour jobs. You can understand it that uh, you know you you work so as to have a long time retired and, and enjoy your life at the end of your life rather than in the middle of it. Which I, I think the idea of work as something fulfilling, something that defines you, seems to not be as common in France as it is in other countries. Yeah, does it kind of tie in with this? You know, we talk a lot about you know the summer holidays in France are also considered sacrosanct. The idea that people can take you know three weeks a month, even more off work. Is it a similar notion with retirement, like you touched on it there, that it's more the attitude to work? Yes, I think so. I, I once, long ago now, I once on, on, a, on a train journey and I happened to be sitting opposite the General Secretary of the Independent Train Drivers Union. I said to him, it's, it's crazy, isn't it, that your drivers at that point were able to retire at 52. What do they do with the rest of their lives? And he looked a bit embarrassed about it. And he, he said, well, many of them go into charitable work. They have lots of interests, you know. But the idea, you know, I'm speaking of someone who's still at work much later than that, I suppose, but... The idea that people should want to sort of end their working life in their mid-50s or 60, early 60s, you know, strikes me as very, very, very strange. Whether that's connected with the fact that France is such a wonderful country and a lot of people have, even quite not so well-off people, have, have secondary homes to go to, I'm not sure about that. You know, not everyone has that kind of luxurious lifestyle. And I'm not sure that a lot of the people that retire early necessarily have very happy lives after they've retired. I, you know, my experience of... People in Normandy who retired very early from manufacturing jobs in Caen and nearby towns, they've been a little bit of a loose end for the, for the latter part of their lives. You know, some of them very happily working in their gardens and so on, but others, you know, seem to be kind of uh, feel as if their life has kind of ended, although they don't want to admit it. John, thanks for joining us on the line from Normandy once again. Emma, we're obviously talking about people who have spent their lives working in France, but when it comes to retirement, France is also an attractive country for foreigners to come to, to retire, as many of our listeners will attest to. Do we know why France is such a popular country to retire to? Can we explain it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's true. A lot of people do retire to France. Uh, Looking at the British population in France, just under half are retirees and the rest are working or studying. For Brits, of course, it's more complicated since Brexit, but it's still possible to retire to France. You just need visas, proof of financial means, health cover, that kind of thing. As to why, I mean, everybody's situation is different, obviously, but I think there are really three main things that draw people to France, and that is the quality of life, the relative affordability and the healthcare. Healthcare is obviously a concern as you get older and France's health system is widely regarded as one of the best in the world. It's easy to access health care, waiting times are generally short and the standard of care is usually pretty excellent. There's also a strong social safety net in France for older people, although not all of these benefits are available to people who've never worked in France, but a lot of them are. In terms of affordability, obviously it depends where you live. I don't think Paris has ever been described as affordable, but depending where you're coming from, property in the French countryside is pretty cheap compared to the UK or the US, so 
if you are lucky enough to own your own home there, you can sell it and buy something in France that's much cheaper, which gives you a, a pot of savings. Life in the French countryside is generally fairly affordable, although depending where you live, you may have to run a car. As for the quality of life, I think it's really the same things as draw people of all ages to France. It's the food, the weather, the culture, the countryside, the pace of life, generally the, the French lifestyle. Don't forget the pharmacies. You can always get medicine here. Uh, yes, There's always yeah. a pharmacy. There's always a pharmacy, yes. There's always somewhere to where you can go and discuss your heavy legs. Excellent. <laughs> really interesting. Thanks, Emma. And on we go. As always on Talking France, we like to introduce listeners to a couple of French celebrities, personalities, people in the news in France. This week, we've picked out Louis Garel and Jean Dujardin. Emma, who are these pair? Why are they in the news? They're both very well-known actors in France. They're both pretty easy on the eye, I think it's fair to say. And they're both nominated for the best actor in the Césars, which are like the French equivalent of the Oscars. Nominations for that came out this week. Interestingly, they're both in police movies in their nominations this time. Garel is in a comedy called L'Annocent, which he also directed. And Dujardin is in a film called Novembre, which is set in the police anti-terror unit round about the time of the 2015 terror attacks in Paris. And there's another police movie battling it out in the best director category too. It's a Franco-Belgian thriller called La Nuit du Douze. But what's interesting for me is that all of these films are pretty positive depictions of the French police. And in fact, I find in general, a lot of police movies in France cast law enforcement in a fairly flattering light, which I think is interesting given that we literally just finished talking about the widespread issues in France with police violence and um, issues like that. If you want a more nuanced description of the police, I think you really need to watch some of the films that are being made by the directors in the Bollier, in the the poorer suburbs of France, like the truly excellent Les Miserables, which is by Lajli. And those kind of address more the the troubled relationship between the police and the poorer communities in France, especially people of colour. One mainstream police film I can recommend is just called Police, called Night Shift in English. And it follows three officers who were escorting a failed asylum seeker to the airport to be deported. It's quite sympathetic of the individual officers and the pressures that they face in the job, but it also shows the systemic problems of violence and racism within the French police. It stars the always excellent Omar Sy and Virginie Efra, so I would recommend that one. That film's called Police, Emma, not to be confused with the 2011 French film called Police, which was actually spelled P-O-L-I-S-S-E, I believe, which I saw, which is a very good film about the police. But yeah, uh, presents them in a positive light. Have you seen any of these films that are up for the César Awards? Uh, I personally have not. Uh, some of my friends have told me that they are facho, <laughs> which I think is uh, is the French term for fascist. And as you can imagine, that would come from someone with a more left-leaning political persuasion, people that find the films to be a little bit too sympathetic on police. But maybe I'll check them out at some point in the near future. Thanks, Emma and Jen. Now, each week as well on Talking France, we look at places in the country that are in the news We've picked Angoulême this week. First of all, where is Angoulême in France? Emma, you know. Uh, yeah, it's in the, uh, in the southwest. It's a really cute little town, actually. They film a lot of movies there because the centre of it is very unspoiled, so if they need a historic setting. So if you've seen Wes Anderson's film, The French Dispatch, that was largely filmed in Angoulême. It's very pretty. Jen, why have you picked Angoulême? Well, we've picked Angoulême because this small town of about 100,000 people is about to double in size this week, and that is because it is home to the Angoulême International Comics Festival, or the Festival de Bande Dessinée in French, and this marks the 50th edition of it. Bande Dessinée, they're often just shortened to BD in French, I believe. Now, just before we start talking about comics and why French love comics so much, why is this festival such a big deal? 
Well, it's a big deal basically because of the French relationship with bande dessinée or BD, as you said. These are comic books. And that's because France is home to the fourth largest comic book market in the entire world after Japan, South Korea, and the U.S., And a 2019 report published by the French Ministry of Culture actually found that bande dessinée production in France has been booming a lot in recent years. In fact, the market size for BD has increased tenfold since 1996. And in 2021, one book out of four books sold in France was a comic book, according to Radio France. And each year, over 200,000 people flock to the city of Angoulême for the festival. Wow. I'm always surprised when I go to pretty much any French house and everyone seems to have a comic book collection, you know, not like kind of paper comics, but these kind of high hardback, thick comic books. This is not kind of a a fringe culture or just for kids in France. It feels like mainstream. Yeah, one important distinction is that for people from the English-speaking world, we might think of a comic book as something that is intended for children or just meant to be funny and a light read. If we wanted to refer to something that's more serious, maybe we would talk about a graphic novel like Mouse. But in France, the bande dessinée covers the whole spectrum. So it covers silly children's comics to memoirs dealing with trauma and, and serious themes. And people of all age groups read them. They really are not just for kids. And the other side is that comics are genuinely considered to be an art form in France. In fact, people refer to them as the ninth art, to be specific. In that sense, they've also received quite a lot of institutional support from the French government in the same way that cinema does. Okay, I've heard of Tintin or Tintin. That's probably the only comic I know. But Jen, you spoke with a couple of experts this week who explained just why they are so popular in France. Yes. So I spoke with Dr. Matthew Screech, who specializes in and teaches French language and culture at Manchester Metropolitan University. Uh, He also wrote the book Masters of the Ninth Art about Francophone comic strips. And here's what he had to say. Well, I think uh, the Bon Destinée in France uh, has succeeded in appealing to a, a very wide audience. And in my opinion, it goes back uh, probably to Hergé's Adventures of Tintin, where you have enough knockabout fun to please children. But you also have a very sophisticated drawing. Some of the panels are actually quite beautiful and high uh, concern for realism, more sophisticated characterization. And since Hergé, I think, he has sort of established a tradition which later artists have worked on in order to produce a, a challenging and innovative form. You'd certainly see adults reading it more in France. I mean, in England, I think you could perhaps see it in a specialist shop like The Forbidden Planet. You know, but in France, if you go to, say, the FNAC, which is a a huge outlet, you will often see adults reading them. I'd be very surprised if you see that in England. We're now probably on about the sort of third or fourth generation of, of adults who, who've, who've read Bon Dessine. So I think it's, it's much bigger, isn't it? And you have a huge range of strips as well, from quite serious, rather cerebral, experimental strips through to the kind of trashiest comic one could imagine and pretty much everything in between. So it really has become a very wide-ranging form of expression. It seems to me that, I mean, generally speaking, uh, the main popular art form in the English-speaking world is popular music. And in France, it seems to be the, the bande dessinée. And I would have said that in the English-speaking world, you had sort of the Presley, you had the, the Beatles, who, who laid the groundwork, if you like, and managed to appeal to a very wide section of the population and then went on, particularly in the case of the Beatles, had to experiment a bit more. And I think there's a similar thing in France with Hergé and then Asterix and then the generations which followed. You know, so they sort of set things in motion, if you like. Why it should be the bande dessinée? Yes, perhaps it could well be that France has a very strong literary tradition and that the French bande dessinée succeeded in connecting with some of those traditions. 
Sexism remains at an alarming level in France with many young men judging discriminatory or violent behaviour against women to be acceptable. That was the conclusion of a new report published in France by the High Authority on Equality. It was based on a study of 2,500 people which found that while most respondents bemoaned sexism in principle, they failed to reject it in practice. Jen, tell us more about these findings that seem fairly shocking on the face of it, but maybe they won't surprise women in France. Yeah, so the headline of these findings was that the study found that sexist behavior was increasing in France. As for the women who were surveyed, 37% said that they had experienced some type of sexual situation to which they had not consented. Several also said that they had experienced, quote, psychological control or excessive jealousy, unquote. And specifically, that applies to 22% of women aged 18 to 24. 15% of women in this age group also reported having been beaten by a partner or an ex-partner, and that number went up to 20% or 1 in 5 for women over the age of 50. When it comes to men, sexist attitudes were present for both older men and younger men. For example, 20% of men between the ages of 25 and 34 that were polled said that bragging about sexual exploits was needed to be respected as a man in society. And another 23% in the same age group said that men sometimes need to use violence to get respect. Wow, worrying statistics. Now, the Higher Authority on Equality has called for the creation of a public independent high authority to fight sexist violence in politics and more financial and human resources to combat domestic violence. It also recommended a ban on gendered toys for children and making public subsidies for companies contingent on progress in terms of equality. The president, Sylvie Pierre Brossolette, said the authorities needed to target male attitudes from a very young age in France, including massive action in education and more stringent regulation of the online sphere. Everyday sexism leads to violent sexism, she told AFP. Emma, the issue of street harassment has long been a subject in France, a recurring one that doesn't seem to go away. It's not unique to France, of course, but it's something our readers, listeners will have experienced. Yeah, absolutely. Street harassment has long been a problem in France, especially in the big cities, as well as sexual harassment on public transport. When we did a survey of local readers in 2018, people reported being flashed at, being followed down the street, having abuse shouted at them if they didn't stop and talk, and being physically groped, especially on public transport. In fact, a survey of female Paris Metro users in 2015 found that every single one of them had been a victim of sexual harassment at least once while using the Metro. And foreign women often comment that there's much more of a culture of sort of approach by strangers in France. Like if you're in a bar or a cafe or a shop, it's common for men to approach and strike up a conversation, ask if you want a drink, that kind of thing. You'll often find French couples who actually met this way. And most of the time, it should be clear, it's perfectly friendly and respectful. And if you say no, they will go away. But Street approaches are also relatively common and a lot of women say these are intrusive, unwanted and sometimes even aggressive. In fact, in 2018, the law was changed after a video went viral of a man slapping a woman in the face after she'd refused to acknowledge him catcalling her in the street in Paris. Yeah, I remember that. One conversation I have with my French partner is comparing Paris to London and I always feel safer in Paris than I did in London. It doesn't seem to have the kind of drunken violence that you get in, say, English cities. But she always said she felt safer in London because it didn't have the kind of harassment that women are subject to often in Paris and often on public transport. Now, this is something that the French government has tried to tackle in the past. Yeah, exactly. In 2018, the government created a new offence which is intended specifically to tackle street harassment. Offences including catcalling, intrusive questions, unwanted following, upskirting, they're all now punished.
punishable by an on-the-spot fine of €750, and that rises to €1,500 if there are aggravating factors such as violence or the victim being under the age of 15. Now, I remember this law being rolled out. It's okay to, you know, create new laws, but is it actually being enforced? Well, yeah, that is always the question, isn't it? In the first year that it was in force, it was reported that 713 men had been fined for this. The next two years after that were pandemic years, so I think the police were probably more focused on enforcing lockdown laws, and we don't have any data for 2022 yet, so I guess we'll see. But certainly if you talk to women, especially younger women, they'll tell you that they really see no difference and they're still regularly approached by men in the street. Mm, Yeah, okay. Thank you, Emma. Now, moving on to our reader question. In fact, we've had a few questions from readers in France this week about this, from property owners in particular. Emma, is there a new tax declaration this year that people should be aware about? There is, yeah. It's only for people who own property in France, but it's for people who both live here and own property and second homeowners. And it's not a new tax, it's just a new declaration. So if you own property in France this year, you will have to make a declaration to the tax office telling them whether this is your main home or whether it's a second home. And the reason for this is changes to the French tax system, that what they call the tax d'habitation, which is the occupier's tax, is being kind of gradually phased out. Most people now don't pay it, but the exception for that is second homes. And basically, I think it turns out that the tax office has no record of whether your property is your main home or your second home. So what they're asking all property owners to do is make a declaration and tell them whether it's a main home, in which case you probably won't pay the tax d'habitation, or whether it's a second home in which case you will. It seems like letters and emails are being sent out now. You've got until June to do this. If you're already registered on the tax website, then it's pretty easy. You just go two clicks, fill out the form. If you're not registered, you'll either have to register or you'll have to go to your local tax office and get a paper version of the declaration to do. But I've just finished writing a little explainer on our website, so it's all there. It's all there on the local.fr if you need any further information. Thank you, Emma. We're almost at the end of the episode, but... Last but not least, we have some life hacks for listeners, for anybody living or coming to France. Who's going to start us off? Jen? Yeah, I'll start us off. So my life hack for this week is that everyone should start reading Bande dessinée. One, they're fun, they're interesting, you can find a subject that you're really interested in, as we mentioned before. But the other benefit is for people that are learning French, Bande dessinée are a great way to really enjoy reading a book that's in French without maybe some of the struggles that you would have with a traditional novel. It just really makes the process easier, faster, and more fun. And I have to say, it's really encouraged me to read more in French. Fair enough. Okay, I'll go next. Well, this is one that has been recommended to me by many French people, but I never really take their advice. It is when you're in a restaurant, especially at lunchtime, to take the plat du jour Ignore the menu, ignore la carte. Why? I normally just go for whatever I can see on the menu because it's familiar, but they say go for the plat du jour. It's often seasonal food. You don't need to look at the menu, you get confused. It's fresh, it's cooked on the day, it's served quickly, it's often cheaper. And if you've tried everything on the menu so far, go for the plat du jour because it changes a lot. That's a great idea on the, on the plat du jour. And it's a great way to discover new stuff. I discovered one of my favourite French dishes by blindly stabbing at the plat du jour. This was brandade, which is like salt cod and mashed potato. I had no idea what it was, picked it off a plat du jour. Turns out it's delicious. And when it's really, really cold, it's my proper winter comfort food in France. It's funny, yeah. Always ask the waiters what are the plans du jour. You'll find something you like and go for it. 
Emma, you had a final tip for us? Yeah, my, my tip is a bit less cultured than Jen's, I have to say, but I've recently been to a few basketball games in Paris, and I think maybe people really? don't... Yeah, exactly. Uh, basketball is actually quite a big thing in France. You perhaps Huge. wouldn't think it is. There was a big NBA game last week between two of the US teams that just travelled here to play, but there is also a pro basketball league in France. There are towns, obviously, all over the country. The Paris club is relatively new. It only set up in 2018, and it's just gone up to the, the top division this year, and and it was really fun. I mean, basketball is not really a thing in the UK, so I couldn't really comment on the quality of the game, although the Americans I went with said it was good. But it was a great atmosphere. There was a good crowd. There's lots of music. It's really lively. And it was a really fun way to spend a Sunday afternoon. So I would say go and watch a basketball game if you're at a loose end. OK, and on the subject of sport, do you have a, a little tip for Olympics tickets that people keep asking me about? Yeah, you just have one week left to register for the draw for Olympics tickets. January 31st is the deadline. You can buy them wherever you are in the world. You don't have to be in France. This is the first year that all tickets are just available online from the Paris Olympics website. It's not federations in different countries. So go online, register before January 31st, and that puts you into the draw to get the lottery for tickets. I really need to get around to it. It's going to come around to 2024 and I'll be everyone will be coming over and going to Olympic events and I'll just be stuck without anything, without any tickets. Well, you might be stuck anyway because I read that there's, I think, 7 million people have entered this draw. So the, the chances of me getting a ticket are not good. So frankly, I would prefer it if you didn't register because then my chances It'll get better. Go up. Okay, well, I'll do that for you then, Emma. Emma, Jen, thanks for all your news updates and essential info this week. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Remember, you can find so much more about France on our website, thelocal.fr. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>